yours and me. Amen. Let's continue to worship him this morning, Lord. You are worthy, God, of everything we are. You're my help and my defender. You're my savior and my friend. By your grace, I live and breathe to worship you. At the mention of your greatness, in your name I will bow down. In your presence, fear is silent. For you wear the victor's crown. Let your glory fill this temple. Your power overflow by your grace. I live and breathe to worship you.
victory in your name this morning, God. Hallelujah, Lord. May those chains, God, be loosed in your name, God.
just take a minute longer and, and just begin to give God thanks. Just with your own words. Maybe you want to thank him for something he's been doing in your life recently. Maybe you want to thank him for something he did a long time ago for the fact that you know him. But let's take a moment and let's just thank him, Lord. We just give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor. Lord, all that you've done, we worship you. you that in John 14, your word says that the spirit, when you come, you will teach us and remind us. And Lord, what a, what a great thing for us to be able to remember. Uh, Lord, as you even, Holy Spirit, as you bring things up uh, to our memory, even now, things that you've done in our life, things you're working in, working on our behalf. Lord, we remember you today, but we don't want to forget anything about you. 
And I pray that during this time of worship together, that you would speak clearly and powerfully to the lives of people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. It is so good to see you today. I hope you've had a great week. How many have had a good week? While you're still standing, let's take a few minutes and just greet some folks around you. God bless you guys. Well, I hope that you think of yourself that way, that you are a part of the church, the hope of the world. And uh, glad you got to visit and greet each other this morning. Hey, we're going to receive this morning's tithe and offering. And while I'm doing that as well, if you're a guest here with us today, we have our Connect cards that are in the seat back in front of you. We've got pens all over the place. It would be such a help to us if you're a guest if you would fill this out, and at the conclusion of our service, head out to the lobby to our guest services desk and hand this to them so that we can actually formally thank you for being with us today. So if you could do that as a guest, that would be greatly appreciated. And in regards to our giving today, what a privilege, what an honor it is to be able to give. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have, again, the privilege, the honor to give today. And I pray that you would use these gifts in a powerful way to impact this world around us and around the world. We love you, and we just say thank you for these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
tough song to sing when we're sitting down, right? That's a tough song to sing. But uh, hey, thank you, worship team, for your ministry to us. We really, really appreciate that. Events coming up. If you got a bullet when you came in, hopefully you grabbed one or you were handed one. Uh, this morning, our pastor is going to be continuing his series on uh, the book of Ephesians. And so that'll be, uh, that'll be what's coming in just a few moments. And Wednesday night, we have our series that began, I believe, last week called Judgment Call. And how many know that sometimes you need to make a judgment call in life? And uh, this is going to be one of those series that really speaks to and helps us when it comes to making decisions, making judgments. Uh, young adults, this Friday night at 7 p.m., we have the Bonfire Food and Fellowship Bring a Chair. You know, I mean, if your favorite chair is like some recliner, like bring it if you can bring it. I don't know. Um, but, uh, 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 and by the way, young adults, my furniture, the, the couch is off limits. You can't drag that out of the office to bring it out there. But anyway, is it, but that's coming this Friday night. Make sure you're um, a part of that. Bring somebody, invite somebody from work, school, wherever. And uh, that's coming this Friday night. Super important, this Saturday, everybody say this Saturday. The men's honor-bound cookout is going to be this Saturday from 11 to 3. Crabs, burgers, swimming, horseshoes, archery, fun, fellowship. I mean, why would you not want to be there? That's coming this Saturday. We have flyers out in the lobby that will give you uh, information that you need for that day, but that's coming this Saturday. Don't forget our, our ministry awards ceremonies that will be happening. Our girls' ministry awards night, August uh, Wednesday, August 24th. Our... Um, Rangers Awards Night is August 31st. Those are coming up quickly, so remember those. And in regards to Praise Youth, we have the Rocky Challenge coming up. How many, how many adults here have not had a student or anyone come up to you to sponsor them for Rocky Challenge? Could you raise your hand? You're not saying you, you want to give or you have to give. Just You have not had anybody. Students, look at that. Okay, all these people have said, no one's come to me, you know, and they may, you may come to them and they may say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll catch you next time. But no one has come to them. I've had adults literally come to me and say, hey, do you have students looking for, you know, uh, Heather, can, can I point you out? I'm up here and she says, hey, do you have students come around looking for, you know, looking for sponsors for the Rocky Challenge? I'm like, yes. So go, if you want money, not right now, just go and she'll give you the Vazanelics. I think somebody hit them up, the younger Vazanelics. See, people are anxious. We are generous people, anxious to be able to give to the work of God. So um, that's coming up very quickly on the 20th, and we're getting ready for that, getting sponsors per step. And that's happening quickly, and that's going to also... Um, uh, your, your ability to raise funds will positively impact your ability to uh, pay for conventions. So make sure, parents, you know the emails that are going out and all the information there. So God bless you. Have a great morning. Well, thank you, Pastor Hans, letting us know what's going on. One change you didn't know about, Pastor Hans, was that the girls and the boys are swapping their ceremony nights. Okay, that was hot off the press, and it was not ready on Thursday. So... Uh, I don't know if it really matters, but it's just two Wednesday nights in a row uh, where they're going to be honored for and also promoted uh, into different groups and classes. Um, the guys are going to go first on August 24, Royal Rangers, and then the la yeah, ladies will be August 31st. Anyways, it'll be in the bulletin next week, okay, correctly and properly. A couple more weeks of Bible study before that takes place. Um, I am excited about Ephesians. What a great letter that Paul wrote. It's got so much in there. And in young adults, 
Jake Plummer has been covering today. We, you focused on Ephesians uh, with that study. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of being spread around in different classes and groups, maybe even in your life group. Uh, but before we go to today's message, I want to share with you a brief, and I mean brief, one-minute Ukraine update. As you know, we had a missions team uh, go to Poland and begin rehab on a building. There have been five missions teams total, and the building is now open. They're taking in their first 20 families from, the Ukraine, uh, from Ukraine, refugees. Entire families are going to live there. And so you're going to see this. And also, I would say this, um, as you're watching the video, very quickly, don't blink. It's only one minute. Look for some of our guys at work. Okay, let's go ahead and show that clip. give online, <clears throat> there is a Ukraine button, and we're giving to Convoy of Hope, as well as Builders International. Thank you for all that you did, and along with us sending that team, we sent $10,000 towards materials that were needed, but at least one floor is open, and they're going to complete this building. Uh, also, of course, keep Ukraine. Keep, the, keep what's going on there in your prayers. Uh, you know, this stuff drops off the radar of media over time. You know, you can only maintain interest in something for so long as you know. And so, but we as believers, we need to keep praying. You don't just pray for a while. You pray until it's done. And we need to pray for victory. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, let's take a look at the second chapter of Ephesians this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the entire chapter as we begin. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, 
Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. God, there's so much here in this passage. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to glean what is important for us, each one of us, individually as well as the corporate body of Christ. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to hold on to that which you want us to receive this morning. And we ask for your anointing. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, you know, if you were here last week, you'll remember how I had preached concerning the will of God. And I had pointed out Paul's mention of all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. He began with this whole, whole thing in, in his greeting, his salutation to the Ephesians. He, he reminded them of the importance of the will of God for his life, for their life. And I wanted to convey that to you. We need to know God's will. We, need to, we just need to know what he wants us to do. And we need to be obedient to it, of course. But then he ended that chapter talking about all the spiritual blessings that are ours. And that was the, that was the message from the first chapter of Ephesians. And with that in mind, what I want you to do, because it hit me as soon as I started putting this together and reading this chapter, it, chapter one and chapter two are engrossed, they're in extreme contrast one to the other. It's truly amazing. Paul spends the first several paragraphs in chapter one of this letter telling the Ephesians of all the good things that are theirs in Christ. I mean, just half the chapter contains all the blessings that God, spiritual blessings that God wants to give us. But then in the second chapter, it's, it's almost like a completely different letter, a completely different book. There's this abrupt change and he turns from being very positive and upbeat to being somewhat negative, at least to begin with. He began chapter one with the highlights of the Christian life. And then in chapter two, he turns to the vulgar depths of our old life. And I'm sure you saw that now that I mention it. The contrast is glaring. But you know, I really like this chapter. I very much appreciate how comprehensive it is, how it is filled with such objective honesty. And, and you know what else? We need this. We need this kind of, of, of honesty. We need, we need reminders like this from time to time. This chapter is so very necessary in the lives of Christians today. Because I think that all too often we tend to forget where we have been before coming to Christ and giving him our lives. And I just wonder, sometimes we imagine that the improvements that we have experienced in our lives come to us by our own doing. 
You know, we, we did the right things. We planned carefully. We strategized. We, we worked to become that better person, to get the better job, to get the better, to put together a good family that loves God. And I'm going to tell you something. Nothing could be further from the truth. Everything that we have, and in a sense, this is a continuation of chapter one. All those spiritual blessings come from God. And everything that you have today, where you are today, if it's, if it's on the positive realm, is because of what God's done in your life. This chapter is so helpful and that it helps us to become aware of the gravity and the value of our salvation. I mean, to be honest, it can be quite easy to take all this for granted. I I know I slip into it now and then. You know, I really do. It's only when I really think back to what I used to be like and how I couldn't get out of that situation. I could not change my situation. I could not change my circumstances. I, I just, I tried. I tried certain things. And nothing worked. But the moment that I prayed and asked for God to forgive me of my past, invited Jesus Christ into my life, into my heart, it instantaneously, instantaneously changed. It took a while for certain issues to be worked out. But I was saved immediately. And he began to work. The Holy Spirit began to work in my life. And I'm not alone in that. That's every one of us. And I'm telling you, friends, today, I want to remind you of all that God has done for us. I mean, provided a Savior. planned. He planned to redeem us from the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned against him. It wasn't an afterthought. God had a plan in place, knowing that Adam and Eve, given this this thing called free will, would, would turn against him. And think, too, of all that Jesus went through to secure our salvation. I mean, the rejection, the humiliation, the unjustified punishment, finally death on the cross. You see, these aren't, these aren't the things that you and I usually spend time thinking about because they're not pleasant. We're much more likely to focus on the blessings, the spiritual blessings that we read about last week in chapter one. And so it's good for us from time to time to be reminded that what you have, and I rarely do I try to say you, I want to say out, we have, but I want you to get that. I really want you to get this this morning. I want to remind you that everything that you have costs God everything. His only begotten son. There's only one savior. He gave his son Jesus for us. It cost him everything to purchase our salvation. And so I believe that we need to have a greater appreciation for all that he's done for us. And I especially like the way the book of Hebrews expresses this thought. Listen to this. This is Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 14, into chapter 2. But Hebrews chapter 1, 14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And that, and that, that is unbelievable. Guys, guys, not only are you saved for eternity, but God has angels that are sent to serve you, to serve anyone who's born again. Verse 1 of chapter 2, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. He's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? 
This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The author of the book of Hebrews refers to our salvation, your salvation, as so great a salvation. And even mentions you know, that our newfound position in Christ, and I, I just love this, I'm going to mention it again, obligates the angels and their commitment to serve us and to minister to us. Kind of makes you feel special. Because I, I don't know about you, but we, kinda, we, we tend to think of angels on this grand scale. I mean, they are powerful beings, whether they're evil angels, say demons, or, or God's angels. And yet they have to minister to us. We have received so much by coming to Christ. We've come so far. In fact, uh, so far that I, I think sometimes we forget what our old lives used to look like. And let me caution here too, because you know, some of you may have been raised in a Christian home. You may have never overtly been rebellious towards your parents or God. You may have been you know, pretty much a good church kid. But please understand that these opening verses in Ephesians chapter 2 apply to everyone. Even though you may have been born to Christian parents, saved parents, you yourself, according to God's word, were still a child of Adam. You were conceived in sin. Every one of us. You were, as Paul had said in this, in this chapter, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You may have had a better environment than I did growing up, but you were equally a sinner. Because of sin, you also were subject to the potential for God's judgment and wrath. Again, in verse 3, Paul says that we were by nature objects of wrath. And just think about these first several verses, okay? He says that we were dead in sin. We're following the ways of the world, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, a slave to a disobedient spirit. For most of us, you know, that means that we live basically with the primary goal of finding ways to gratify the cravings of the sinful nature. And it, and it doesn't, I'm not talking all kinds of debauchery. I'm, I guess basically just selfishness, selfish human nature. Being led by our own desires, our own thoughts, naturally, again, verse 3, objects of God's wrath. And, and every one of us to a differing degree, okay? I was living at a certain level of sin. You were living at a certain level of sin. I don't care how you were raised. When I think about my former condition, I'm immediately drawn to a few old hymns. Um, the most common one um, is a real oldie written by Bill Gaither. Um, really simple when you think back to it now where our worship music has come, but something beautiful, something good. How many remember that oldie? I mean, that is old. That is, that is just something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood that's where I was living in a lot of confusion. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. Brought it on myself. That's all, that's all I could present to him. But he made something beautiful of my life. Simple words, but powerful. And then go back three centuries and we have a great hymn by Isaac Watts. How many remember Isaac Watts? Anybody around back then? <laughs> Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? 
And I know that sounds King James's. But you know, the worm is a symbol of unawareness. Just aimlessly living through life. You know, you've seen, you've seen worms after a rainstorm coming out of the soil. And, they're, and boy, the really dumb ones, I, I don't get this. It's like, stay in the grass. And they get out in the driveway and I see them in the morning. They're all dried up. And that's how, really, that's how aimless they are. It's like, I, guy, just stay in the grass. And yet at the same time, a worm in the form of a caterpillar has hope. Because someday they're going to be reborn as a beautiful caterpillar. I mean, as a beautiful butterfly. Amen? And then you go back 200 years and we have John Newton and the hymn Amazing Grace. We all know that one. Now I want to read you what I found about the story of the man and the song. Listen to this. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. So begins one of the most beloved hymns of all times, a staple in the hymnals of many denominations. The author of the words was John Newton, the self-proclaimed wretch who once was lost, but then was found saved by amazing grace. John Newton was born in London, July 24th, 1725, the son of a commander of a merchant ship which sailed the Mediterranean. When John was 11, he went to sea with his father and made six voyages with him before the elder Newton retired. In 1744, John was impressed into service on a man of war, the HMS Harwich. Finding conditions on board intolerable, he deserted, but soon was recaptured, publicly flogged, and demoted from midshipman to common seamen. Finally, at his own request, he was exchanged into service on a slave ship, which took him to the coast of Sierra Leone. He then became the servant of a slave trader and was brutally abused. Early in 1748, he was rescued by a sea captain who had known John's father. John Newton ultimately became captain of his own ship, which plied the slave trade. Although he'd had some early religious instruction from his mother, who had died when he was a child, he had long since given up any religious convictions. However, on a homeward voyage, while he was attempting to steer the ship through a violent storm, he experienced what he was to refer to later as his great deliverance. He recorded in his journal that when all seemed lost and the ship would surely sink, he exclaimed, Lord, have mercy on us. And later in his captain, cabin, he reflected on what he'd said and began to believe that God had addressed him through the storm and that grace had begun to work for him. For the rest of his life, he observed the anniversary of May 10th, 1748, as the day of his conversion a day of humiliation in which he subjected his will to a higher power. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And what's amazing to me is that, as I've already previously mentioned, there are few today, really, in Christendom, modern-day church, that really would want to acknowledge that they were once in such a condition. It's not something we want to think about. We don't want to go backwards. And you know, sadly, we don't hear much preaching on this subject matter either. This second chapter of Ephesians. I, I don't know the last time I've preached on Ephesians chapter 2 to you. But chapter 2 begins with our beginning. It begins with sin. Because we all begin in sin. We all begin in sin. We're all conceived in iniquity. We're all conceived in sin. We all inherit Adam and Eve's sin. 
And then this chapter, as though it begins that way, it begins to change its emphasis and it, and it shows us all that God has done and done on our behalf. I think it was necessary for the Holy Spirit to give these words to Paul. So we have a starting point that we weren't okay, that our lives were in shambles, that we needed somebody to help us. You know, you, you wouldn't be able, you, you, you can't just jump to the answer to the solution without first addressing the problem. And Paul reminds us that everything has changed. Our condition, our position has changed. It's all improved. And I want you to notice why it's improved. Just by looking at a, a few verses, we're not going to read them again, but I just want to give them to you. Verse 4, th this is why you are a different person today. Hopefully you're a different person today than when you first got saved. Verse 4, because of his great love for us. That's where it began, because of his great love for us. Verse 5, talked about his richness in mercy. Richness, not leanness, richness in mercy. Verse 5, again, it is by grace you have been saved. And then verse 8 elaborated further, clarified it further. It said, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. In other words, not one of us has ever done anything significant to affect our own salvation. It is the gift of God. You know, before I met Christ, I thought, if you were to ask me, how do you get to heaven? By being a good person, by going to church, by reading the Bible. And I had tried some of those things. And it didn't work. It didn't work. And I thought, maybe I haven't tried it long enough. And, I, and, and some things I tried over again. Going to church, the church that I would attend at that point. They weren't a Bible-believing church. The pastor, in fact, even told me after I got saved... Not to tell anybody how to get saved. Because they didn't believe that. This is the gift of God. It's not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. I could not clean myself up. I could not purify myself. I could not, I could not change my destination and my own strength. And even the day when, when, when you and I received Christ, we opened our mouths... We opened our hearts. We prayed for his forgiveness. We requested salvation, if you said the basic sinner's prayer, whatever that would be. And, and, and all that was still his doing. All we did was accept a free gift. If your situation was like mine, it was, you know, I was asked, you know, are there any sinners here? And I realized what we just read in Ephesians chapter 2. I was a sinner. I was a sinner. The conviction of the Holy Spirit made me raise my hand. And then I recited a prayer and asked Jesus to come into my life. I basically, all I did with my mouth, with my lips, was to believe and receive. Just to believe and to receive salvation. I, I simply accepted a free gift. There was no work involved. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. We're his handicraft. He's molded us. He's shaped us. He's crafted us. He's created us in Jesus Christ to do good works. Which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. And then the remainder of the chapter, verses 11 through 22, Paul continues with this, his theme of contrasting our past with our present condition. He speaks both of our old nature, what we used to be, and then who we are today because of what Jesus has done for us. And I want us to walk through these verses beginning to verse 11, and I'm not doing it verse by verse, but well, I am, but I'm not giving you the verse as a, as a reference. He said, we were of the uncircumcised, 
In other words, we weren't even Jewish. We were separated from Christ. He says we were excluded from citizenship. We were foreigners to the covenant. We didn't have a clue. We were without hope. We were without God. We were far away. That described my life to a T. I was seeking for God. I was searching for God. I didn't know where to find him. I thought he might be a church, but apparently not that church. And then verse 14, he says, Christ is our peace. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to reconcile us to God. Through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. We're no longer foreigners and aliens. We are fellow citizens. This is, we, all, we read all this. And in him, verse 22, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So there you have it. Left to ourselves, we're nothing. We're hopeless. Will you admit that? Amen? But through him, we become one with him and we become a dwelling place for his spirit. What a transformation. It is amazing grace, isn't it? It is amazing grace when we really think about it. Our salvation is truly a miracle. And we need to appreciate so great a salvation. And we need to share that salvation with others. Now, one more related thought before I close. Every time that someone gets saved... It is a miracle. It really is. It's a miracle. And it's also an assault on Satan and hell. Every time we lead someone to Christ, we have stolen, we've stolen a hostage. We have freed a captive. Every time we lead someone to Christ, they get born again. Every time that someone experiences the wealth of God's grace and his mercy, Satan is reminded of his defeat. Let me, well, let's take a look. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14, and 15. This is, this is like a one-paragraph summary of what we've been studying in Ephesians today. Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins... That was every one of us before we came to Christ. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Basically, having disarmed the powers and authorities of hell, he, 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 he just totally ridiculed them publicly. I love that triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus hung in that cross and finally his, took his last breath, you and I both know Satan thought, it's, it's done. Jesus said it is finished. Satan thought, it's really finished. Now I've won. Until three days later. Hallelujah. Jesus, it says he triumphed over the authorities by the cross. His death, only because his death was followed by the resurrection. His death wiped away. His blood took care of our sins. 
His resurrection guarantees us eternal life. And what's said there in Colossians is in direct reference to what we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul said, I love this, in order that in the coming ages he might show or demonstrate or display the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You, you know, you know, you know that God wants everyone to be saved. He desires, in, in, in Peter's epistle, he desires that all would come to repentance and that none would perish. That's what he desires. And when someone gets saved, it demonstrates his grace. It shows, it shows the order of this world. Shows the order of this world how wrong they are, how evil they are. And I, I, mean, I mean worldly leaders that have, are, are following Satan as well as his demons. As God displays his grace and his goodness, Satan's ugliness is simultaneously revealed. And as each one comes to Christ, Satan's defeat is reemphasized. I love all that. And, and that's why it's so important for us to remember just how great a salvation we've received. That's why it's so vital for us to reflect upon all that God has done in our lives through Christ and by his spirit. And as I've already shared, not only is it good for us to reflect, to remember what he's done for us, but also to tell others. Folks, we're, we're living in some very interesting times. We really are. You know, we've been through two years of pandemic and, and who knows what all is in the future? I mean, I know someone who does know, but you and I don't know. We don't need to know. What we need to know is the truth, and we need to be purveyors of the truth. And so I just want to encourage you, because we don't know what is in the future, other than the fact that there is a time, well, the word says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We do know that. So every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, someday, until Jesus returns, will die. And then there's a judgment. That we know. And our job, until that day, is to tell others about how he has changed our lives. And so as I close this morning, I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to open this altar this morning as we did last week. And I want to urge you to find a place of prayer. And maybe just think about, think about what he did in your life. How you got saved? Just for a few moments. Because if he, if he could turn my life around, he could turn anybody's around. I wasn't as bad as Saul of Tarsus, who became the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul. But there was a lot of transformation to take place. And you know what? He's, I think he's done a pretty good job. There's more to do, but he's still working. And he wants to work in the lives of people you know who don't yet know him. So let's stand together. And again, I want you to find a place of prayer. If you want to, you can sit right where you are or maybe kneel in your chair on the, right before your seat in the chair. And just, just thank him for everything he's done for you. And again, maybe you were raised in a, in a Christian home, so you know, maybe you didn't experiment with all the things that I did, but you still were a sinner. And you had to ask Jesus into your heart. You formally had to ask him to come into your life and be your savior. 
And maybe there's someone here today too and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You can come to this altar and you can pray and you can say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. And he will honor that. He will do that. All he wants is that invitation. That's all that we do. We don't do anything to be saved except receive that free gift of salvation. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, right now. We thank you, Lord, for where where we once were. You took us from where we once were. Lord, we were not worthy. Lord, there isn't anything in our lives that was worthwhile redeeming. But by your great mercy, your grace, and your love for us, according to what we read today, that's what motivated you to reach out to humanity, to reach out to mankind. The first couple, they they were created, and you said it was very good. Everything was very good. And yet they chose to believe Satan. They chose to believe the deceiver. And they rebelled against you. They sinned. And that sin lingers in our world today. And Lord, the only way it can be eradicated is one life at a time. And we thank you for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, right now we pray for others that we know that don't know you yet. Maybe some co-workers or schoolmates that we had last year at school. Maybe some neighbors, family members. Lord, I pray God that you'd help us to care enough to tell them that God can work in their lives, that he really wants them to live in heaven forever with him. pray that not only would we be appreciative of what you've done for us, but Lord, that we would offer that to others who are just as blind as we once were, just as lost, maybe just as wretched. They need you. They need you. Give us the right words, Lord. Give us, give us a spirit-empowered witness so that we know that we don't have to do it in our own strength. We don't have to worry about the words. But you'll give us the words. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
chapter 2 when we sang that chorus earlier. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Father, I just thank you once again for your grace, for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us never, never to neglect so great a salvation. And Father, I pray now your blessing on this congregation, Lord. I pray your blessing on each one of us. Lord, how I, I just ask, Lord, this message would continue to resound in our hearts and our minds this week. To truly be appreciative of what you've done for us. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.